And now as we close this letter over the next couple weeks, Paul is, uh, has special instructions here uh, for certain people, uh, certain ones, ones among us who are rich. And uh, they're hard instructions, but nonetheless, God's instructions. I'd like to begin simply by reading 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. Paul writes, Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the certainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Okay. Any rich people out there? We do know that Christ said that He came that we might have life and that we might have it abundantly. And that doesn't come in possessions. It doesn't come uh, with money. Abundant life comes through service and sacrifice and following the pattern of Christ. And as I looked at this today, I thought, what an enormous difference a year doesn't make. It really doesn't. Uh, And I say this because at approximately this same time last year, uh, we were discussing this biblical command to be generous and ready to share. If you remember, we were in 1 John. And it was actually in last September. And we were studying through that book. And in chapter 3, verse 16, it said this, We know love by this, that Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth, says the Apostle John. And as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, you know, when you study progressively through Scripture, uh, through God's Word as we do, you don't hopscotch around a lot in the Bible, you end up touching on these topics about as frequently as God does. And benevolence and generosity is one topic that God spends a lot of time on. So I wouldn't be surprised at all as as we look into next year that at some time in another book, possibly the Old Testament, we don't again come to this topic that emphasizes benevolence. Simple generosity to those in need. And last year... That, that text from 1 Timothy emphasized God's command that we tangibly de- demonstrate benevolence, love. And, and uh, love, as Corinth found it, wasn't demonstrated as an emotion. It wasn't simply just, I love this person. Love is demonstrated through sacrifice and through deeds. And we'll touch on that again as we get further into the message But before we begin, I really would like to take a moment just to acknowledge and give a heartfelt thanks to everyone here. Last year, in response to that message, uh, we did recognize that one of the greatest barriers that we have as a local church at that time was the debt that we have on our mortgage. We recognized that, we identified it, and, and our opportunity to provide relief to the poor, to the impoverished, at home here or abroad... And relief being in basic human necessities. We studied a couple weeks ago uh, with food and covering with these, we'll be content, right? 
basic necessities that so many lack. And uh, one of the big barriers to us doing a, a greater uh, work in that is mortgage debt. And, and in case you weren't present at the July meeting with us, uh, I'd like to provide a slight update here. Over the last two years, actually two years ago, a little over two years ago, our mortgage debt stood at over 450000 and closer to four sixty. And um, for a congregation this size, that's, that's a daunting figure. That, that, is, that is significant. However, after a debt elimination campaign the, uh, that happened last fall, uh, combined with our regular payments, I believe that our uh, balance in July meeting was 263000 Probably now with the mortgage payment closer to two fifty. And, and I really, I want to give a hearty thanks to everyone here, uh, a big praise to the glory of God uh, for the generosity that is demonstrated through that. And um, at the same time last year, if you remember, I brought to attention that our facility, it's more than adequate for substantial growth. We, we have enough facility here, I think we see it around 200, that um, we're, we normally range somewhere between 130, 135 in the summer and 185 in the winter. And we could easily double our size by simply going to a second service, no building campaign, probably improving the parking somewhat here. We have room to grow, so we don't need to take on uh, more debt. And God willing, with that, with our increased emphasis in outreach, our, our dedication to prayer that everyone has demonstrated, and um, realizing our biblical responsibility to take the gospel forth, we, we are poised for a growth spurt. And we're going to continue to pursue that, uh, God willing, God willing. But uh, as we look at our generosity, as we look at our benevolence, the barriers that we've had are much less today than they were a year ago. And I want to thank everyone for that. Um, And previous also to our membership orientation, that as I said, should be September 25th and October 2nd. Um, I plan on doing a, a message on the outlook of our church, our future outlook what we see coming in the future, uh, that will be helpful for all of us, and especially those who are considering becoming members. Uh, it's helpful to look and see where are we going. Because does anybody really like just showing up week to week? And say, well, let's just show up. I mean, it's good, but would we not prefer to know where we are going? Um, so we're going to look at doing some uh, charting of a course determining our future as God wills, casting a vision. Uh, you know, a lot of times people talk about charting a course or charting a vision, and they talk about, well, what assets do you have? What personnel do you have? What opportunities do you have? And that's part of it, but not all of it. Uh, you listen to um, John MacArthur, as he's talked about, and you know the big vision they've cast at his church, if you're familiar with him. He simply says, you keep preaching the word, and your vision will take care of itself. You will see in the Word what your congregation is called to do. Together you will see it, and your heart will be moved together uh, as a congregation. And um, you see this happen with, with radio ministries, with Grace to You, with Insight for Living. They saw what talents they had and what abilities they had, and uh, those ministries then step out in faith and do them. Every church doesn't look the same. Some churches are, are doing different ministries than others, and we need to begin to, to grasp what God has us to do here. Because that motivates us to move forward. Not to just come show up. Not to just come show up. Um, the important part, as we're going to see today, 
is to be ready and to prepare. Be ready and prepare. Um, but we are on our way. And as we get our debt paid off, um, we will be in prayer beforehand. We will be um, prepared to respond when the opportunities come. And especially when it comes to benevolence, you know, you need to prepare. Is it usually when, when there's a need, do you just all of a sudden get a big wad out of your pocket and just do it on spontaneously? No. Usually you prepare, you chart a course, it's planned, giving is planned. And we see that in 2 Corinthians 8, which was our scripture reading earlier. And verse 10 struck me in a way that it hadn't previously. When you look at 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, they outline a relief effort to the poor, especially in Jerusalem. In that giving, it is about giving to the poorer people who don't have enough in the poorer churches. So Paul is taking an offering and encouraging people to bring together an offering for those who are suffering and in need. And uh, in verse 4, we find that there was a fund that had been raised among the churches in Macedonia. Now Macedonia is just north of Greece. So we're talking about a long distance from Jerusalem. They're talking about reaching and meeting the needs of a city far away and in another country, Israel. And that was Macedonia. Now in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he's writing to Corinth. That's also in Greece. And uh, this is all for the relief of impoverished Christians. And I'd like you to just take, take a moment and think. How well do you think we do with that? When it comes to meeting the suffering of the poor Christians, those who are in Christ, in his body, how are we doing? That's something we need to be in prayer about. Corinth, when you look at that, that was a comparatively wealthy city. Quite wealthy. Um, realizing this distraction that materialism would have on them and acquiring more stuff, the Apostle Paul had told them in advance to pray. And, and look with me at verse 10 if you're in 2 Corinthians 8. We'll be going back a little bit today between 2 Corinthians 8 and 1 Timothy 6. Not too much. I don't want to throw you all off. But in first, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 10, Paul writes... I give my opinion in this matter, for this is to your advantage, who were the first to begin a year ago, not only to do this, meaning the offering, but also to desire to do it. So after the Corinthians had received uh, the first letter that we call 1 Corinthians, and had been rebuked for a lot of their behavior, uh, they read in 1 Corinthians 13.13, A verse we're all familiar with, now faith, hope, love, abide these three. But the greatest of these is love, right? And in response to that call of the apostle, they decided they were going to demonstrate their love for their fellow Christians, for the body of Christ, by making an offering, by tangibly demonstrating uh, their love through benevolence to the poor Christians, who in comparison had very little, uh, uh, much less than what Corinth had much less even than what the poorer Macedonians had. And we observe uh, through Corinth that benevolence is a response to Scripture. That means that people recognize it. They see it in the Word of God. It is a response. Um, It also includes a heartfelt desire. That's the love part. You've got to have a heartfelt desire with benevolence. Not only do you need to know why you're doing it, you have to have an inward spiritual desire to share. And, and also giving often requires a period of time. A period of time. With Corinth, 
They had planned for it a year earlier. It's budgeted, is what that simply means. A lot of times you have to come to the conclusion, where can I budget myself to meet a particular need? Whatever uh, ministries we give to, generally we look at what we can afford and what we can give. So they planned ahead. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, right at the close of that book, it suggested that they systematically gave on the first day of the week. You remember that? So they systematically gave to this fund, and these uh, collections, again, were intended for relief of the poor. We have to recognize that benevolence was and still is a biblical expectation of every local church. It is anticipated that every church will in some way play a part in relieving the suffering of the saints. And, And Scripture tells us that we should each give proportionately as we prosper, uh, in fact, it might actually be harder for the wealthier people to do this, in a sense, especially in our country, uh, to give proportionately. Um, so Paul provides a special exhortation in verse 17, um, in First Timothy chapter 6, to instruct those who are rich. They need to be told. Because a lot of times they'll look, and if a wealthy person is doing it proportionately, they're going to see... Quite a few zeros on the back of that figure, aren't they? And for those of us who maybe have one or two zeros on ours, it's, it's slightly less traumatic for us, isn't it? Yeah. So uh, he tells them to plan. First uh, Timothy chapter 6, verse 16 says uh, that these are instructions. Now notice these aren't my instructions. I'm just repeating them to you. I'm not telling you this. This is from our Lord and God. In verse 17, it says, Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. I mean, put your hope on God, who richly supplies us. He is the source with all things to enjoy. So first and foremost, the rich are to recognize that the reason they're to give is because God has already amply supplied They give as a response. We spoke to this last week, um, that God has been the one who provides to us individually, us who are rich, us who are not as rich. And we spoke to this last week in James. It reminded us we were just a vapor, remember? And uh, that said, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, engage in business, and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow, You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then it vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or do that. So we're like a vapor. We're like a vapor. Our money is also like a vapor a lot of the time, isn't it? It it can be a vapor. It's wise to take heed of Proverbs 23.5, which says, when you set your eyes upon it, it's gone. For wealth certainly makes itself wings like an eagle that flies towards the heaven. Your money ever done that on you? It's done it to me. It will take off. It'll spring right out of that pocket. And, and so God's saying, don't put your faith on the uncertainty of riches. I had a conversation with a gentleman this past week who was quite troubled about the political situation. And, and I know this gentleman well. He's quite young uh, by all comparison, around 50, and has, has uh, grown quite a business, is quite wealthy, and uh, several million dollars, 
And his biggest concern when you talk to him, he's a nice fella, but he's concerned about losing it. His biggest concern is not how to use it, it's not to lose it. Where can he keep it? Even him, with what he has, he has this uncertainty, no matter how much you have. And so when you really look at it, and a lot of us have been through different phases in our life where we've had very little at one time and, and a bit more at another time and maybe again back to less. But money really doesn't make you feel all that secure, does it? It really doesn't. No matter how much you have, you're concerned about it. And, uh, but verse 17, it's very clear that it is God who is our security. It's also very clear that it is God who makes us prosper. God is, God is the origin of this blessing. And, and this is the reason in this passage, rich people shouldn't be conceited. Rich people shouldn't be conceited because the wealth did not materialize, if you are rich here today, with you. The wealth didn't come from you, it came from God. He is the one who, who made you prosper. So we don't become conceited. This, in a lot of ways, isn't very different than salvation. When we look at salvation, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it strongly emphasizes that your faith isn't of you. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It says it is a gift of God, not the result of works. Again, lest no one should boast. So no boasting. Uh, again, uh, all these good gifts. We should realize as Christians, every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from above from our Father of lights, right? James says. Um, so things like our, our finances, our health, our salvation, the good things that are coming to us, we're simply recipients of God's grace, His benevolence. He has given to us freely. So what's that make you? Pretty humble. I haven't earned all this. I haven't earned my salvation. I haven't earned the money I have. I, I didn't, didn't make all of this happen in my life. That's, that's what First Timothy 6 here is trying to say. Don't become conceited in this thing like money that's so unpredictable. It can be here today, gone tomorrow. Uh, if you're rich, you've simply experienced God's sovereign benevolence towards you. And uh, God has made some Christians very, very wealthy. God has also made some unbelievers very, very wealthy. I mean, you got P. Diddy, Beyonce, and Howard Stern. They're not believers. God has permitted them to prosper for His purposes. Whatever He is doing with them, with their money, wherever it floats, He is directing it for His purposes. Um, so wealth, obviously, is not an indicator of spirituality. I mean, Howard Stern got a lot of money. It's not an indicator he's right with God. People can't rest on that uncertainty of riches. Um, James said, actually, generally, it is the poor of this world whom God chose to be rich in faith. It's the poor. And, and Matthew 7.13 indicates that the gateway to salvation, the road, the narrow road, is very narrow, even for the poor man. It's a narrow road. It is a narrow gate in Matthew 7. And... Uh, it said in Matthew 22 that, that many are invited or many are called, but few are chosen. So it's a narrow road that we're on. And we have to praise God we're on this road. Uh, but then even, think then how narrow it is for the rich man. That's a narrow road. Actually, that's the eye of a needle, according to Jesus. 
It's like squeezing yourself, if you're a rich man, through the eye of a needle. Anybody takers? No. When, when the rich young ruler, the one person we know as a rich young ruler, uh, turned away from Christ, left Christ, he was very, very sad because Jesus had told him to just sell what you own, give your possessions to the poor, and the rich young ruler said, no, I'd rather not. So he went away from Christ very, very sad. Um, Jesus said to his disciples, he turned to them after, after the young man had, had walked away and said, truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Again, I say to you, emphasis, again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were very astonished, very astonished, and said, well, who then can be saved? And looking at them, Jesus said, with people or with man, it is impossible, but with God, Nothing is impossible. All things are possible. Like squeezing through the eye of a needle. I want to correct something too. Once in a while you'll hear on TV or somewhere else that this eye of a needle is some small gate in Jerusalem. Folklore. There was no gate, no small gate called the eye of the needle in Jerusalem. They say that uh, the, the gate was so small that animals and others had to get on their knees to go through the gate that was titled or called the eye of the needle. That does not exist. There's no historical evidence. It's a good story. But it's not. Because it actually interferes with what Jesus is actually saying here. Um, that, no, he, Jesus says literally an eye of a needle. Try to go through that. And that's why the disciples were so astonished. Because if it really was a really small gate, they said, well, yeah, you've got to get on your knees and get through it. No, the disciples then, who can be saved? Without God's grace, there would be no entering the kingdom. It would be impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So whether you're the rich man or you're the poor man, by God's grace, he opens a door. We're on that narrow road into heaven, rich and poor together, uh, entering God's kingdom by his grace, as brothers and sisters in Christ. We should surely, as Christians here, praise God that he has made some folks wealthy, some Christians wealthy. We should be very thankful for that. A lot of times we can get very uh, jealous, wish we had more. Uh, but there are some Christian uh, folks that God has just used in a mighty, mighty way but they had to make a really big sacrifice with a lot of those zeros. Um, wealthy people who are faithful with that which God has given them have made an enormous uh, expansion of the church possible. Uh, we think of, uh, if you've heard of him, R.G. Letourneau. R.G. Letourneau was uh, famous for building really huge earth-moving equipment. He was the first one to build roads in the, in, during the Depression era with large equipment rather than mules and plows. So R.G. Letourneau, um, he also founded a Letourneau Christian University. That's where Franklin Graham went and many others. Good university, or at least it historically was. Um, probably still is. I just don't know in the last 10 years uh, what's going on there. Um, but while R.G. Letourneau was still in debt, at the prompting of his pastor, he made the determination that, that he was working for God. And later he became just exuberantly wealthy. 
especially in that era. During the, during the 30s, during the Great Depression, it, it, was, it was very unique that he was making all this money when everyone else was going broke and suffering. And God blessed him and grew him through the Great Depression. And at the encouragement of his wife, she and he decided to turn and give 90% of everything that they make to the Lord's work. And they're just going to live on 10%. Re- regardless of what the Lord does, they would live off 10%. They're going to be benevolent back to God for what God had done to him, for them. But before becoming wealthy, Letourneau had made a mistake that a lot of us make. A lot of us make this mistake. He thought that the only way to serve God was to either become a pa- uh, pastor or a missionary. He said, in order to serve God, you'd have to become one of those religious guys. Maybe wear some of that vestige or something, make you look real uh, spiritual. So he was seeking to possibly become a pastor or a missionary. He felt God's call on his life, but he didn't know what to do. And the words that changed the direction of his life came from his pastor. And the pastor told him, R.G., you know, God needs businessmen too. Then with R.G., we often find in Scripture that there are people who need encouragement. They they need a push to be generous, uh, to give to the work of the Lord. And and even after Corinth had, had decided to take this collection a year earlier, Paul said, now you've got to follow through. Push people to follow through with what they have. Uh, he encouraged them in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 8. Excuse me. Probably 8, verse 11. Yeah, 11. Excuse me. Now finish doing it also. Meaning the collection. Finish it. So that just as there was the readiness to desire it, so there may also be the completion according to your ability. So Paul says, do it. Follow through with what you have. You knew it was the right thing to do. You've had the time. Now finish the work. And you see, you see, we need to realize that we need an encouragement to give. Anybody along with me there? That's why Scripture does it. We need an encouragement to give. If we're not encouraged from Scripture, and I would say from the pulpit, uh, we'll often just stand on the sidelines. We'll never get in the game. And, and that's what I want to encourage you with today from Scripture is to be generous with what God has blessed you with. Just be generous with what God has blessed you with. Um, I want to push you a little bit. But it's only going to be a little. Because Scripture tells me to push you a little bit. First Timothy 6.18 says, Instruct them to do good. To be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed, abundant life, as Christ uh, gives. And, and I'm so glad, so fortunate that I don't know what anyone here is worth. No idea whatsoever. Um, I'm glad of that, really. I don't want to know what everybody's worth. If someone here were worth two or three million bucks, I'd be tempted to go up to them and say, hey, you know what? Why don't you just write a check out for that $200,000 left on our debt? There isn't anybody here with two or three million bucks, is there? (laughs) No, it would be tempting. Um, 
And, and, and then it would give us the opportunity then to pray, look on moving forward on benevolence, what we're going to do. Um, since I have no idea what any of you are worth, this whole thing lies between you and God. All of it lies between you and God. Um, we don't go around putting a thumb on people. We don't even watch a plate as it passes anymore. No, we never did. You ever been in the churches like that where someone's sitting up front and the plate goes around and they're like, the hand go up over there? No, nothing like that. As I told before, if you're a visitor, I don't even know what people give. I don't look at the donations. Um, the, pa- the plate gets passed by. Uh, fortunately now, I, I kind of like it in a way. Anyhow, we have electronic giving. So you don't know even if the plate passes someone by what they're giving, what they're not giving, or whatever. It's just completely between you and God. And, and it works. It works. Uh, nobody has to be shamed into giving. Nobody has to. The Spirit moves. I'm, I'm glad for that. Um, I genuinely feel very honestly from my heart, that people are much more generous when they don't feel like they're pressured into it and when they don't know, uh, when others don't know what they're giving. Uh, my past church in Texas, they, 42 years, they never passed a plate. They, they had a box by the door, that uh, just an offering box at each exit, and people dropped in, not that I'm against plates, or, or four boxes. But nobody knew, no one passed it, there was nothing passed around, and uh, they grew quite large, as, as I've said before. Um, they built a $22 million sanctuary per person, not all that much when you really think about it. You divide it out, the number of thousands of people that meet in there, no more than us per person. So that's not in itself bad. Uh, but they had a 20-year mortgage, and they opened up the opportunities, and they had it paid off in less than seven years without putting a thumb on anybody. People saw what was going on, the ministries that were going on, the outreach, the evangelism, the um, service to the poor, the overseas missions, and people just give. People just give. Um, so Christians, Christians give when the Spirit moves them to be generous. And that's what we pray for here. There's just a couple more things I need to mention. This is an important one. You know, I know that most of us feel really poor. I feel poor. Anybody here feel poor today? Um, I know that we, we wag our finger a lot at the one percenters, don't we? That's in vogue right now, if you didn't know. Politically, wag your finger at someone else who has more money. Um, those people who have a few million bucks lying around. Um, you might have noticed printed on the bulletin today, the title was Special Instructions for the One Percenters. The one percenters. Um, we have to acknowledge something here. On the big scheme of things, Christians around the world, Egypt, Ethiopia, Africa, India, China, most of the Christians live in poverty in the world. All of us here, we are the one percenters. We're the ones. We're the ones with most of the world's money here. We may not feel like it, but we have it. We have it. And uh, uh, combined with that, Paul didn't merely look to the rich to make the early church go. He wasn't looking just at the rich here. It says, instruct those who are rich. Our scripture reading from 1 Corinthians 8 uh, describes the sacrifice made by the churches in Macedonia. 
It used Macedonia actually as an example to the more wealthy church in Corinth. Macedonia, the poor church, was the example to the more wealthy church. And Paul writes, Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participating in the support of the saints. You know, the poor Macedonians, they didn't wait for the richer Corinthians to jump out ahead of them. They, they were the ones that wanted to give first. In fact, they begged for the opportunity to, to provide relief and they led the way. They were actually the example to the richer people. And they gave, it says, through a great ordeal of affliction. They gave out of their poverty. They gave joyfully, liberally, at the same time, according to their ability, and even beyond their ability, as they participated in the re- relief of other Christians in need. You know, in America, we don't look a lot like the Macedonians. Paul praised them. We don't normally give out of affliction. We don't usually beg to give away. Generally, we don't usually give out of poverty and beyond our ability. We as Americans, we give out of our excess. What we feel is left over. You and me both. It's one reason for a spiritual weakness that we have in America, very materialistic in all different ways. But truth be told, we're all one percenters. And these instructions are, are for us in our passage today. Not just the guy with the McMansion on the hill over there. When we compare um, ourselves to others, we really have a lot. We can be thankful for that. Um, we need to remember the poor. That's the point today. You know, early in his ministry, Paul... You find this in Galatians. As he went back and, and talked to the, the apostles in Jerusalem, there were uh, James and John and Peter. And he went back to be extended the right hand of fellowship one. Both Paul and Barnabas went back. And they, they came with this pact that, you know what, we're going we're to work with the church here in Jerusalem. And, and Paul, we do think that you should go on to the Gentiles. And Paul and Barnabas were going to be assigned to the Gentile churches. Um, as God asked them to do. And um, those apostles there in Galatians 2.10 had one request of Paul and Barnabas. Remember what it was? Paul writes, They only asked us to remember the poor. The very thing Paul says I was also eager to do. So are we also eager? We need to pray. We need to pray. Because we, we honestly, we can't look through Scripture. We can't look through the Old Testament or the New Testament. We cannot look at Jesus' three-year earthly ministry in the Gospels that we see. We can't look at the actions or the writings of the apostles and the letters that they wrote without quickly recognizing over and over again that relieving the suffering of the impoverished, especially the poor Christians, is a biblical mandate. 
I, I was going to use the word, it's a biblical priority. I changed it at the last minute. No. It's a mandate. It's a mandate. Uh, a priority would make it inaccurate. Um, as Christians, as a congregation, we need to pray. We need to prepare for what the Lord has ahead of us. And we need to restructure our lives in order to respond to what God reveals. Let's pray. Oh, gracious Father, why well, I know for one, Lord, that uh, there's a lot of things I like to do. Lord, I like to pray. I love to share the gospel, Lord. Eager with that. Lord, when it comes to sacrificially giving, that's tougher. Lord, it's easier to, um, to just keep it. And Lord, uh, I know there's a lot of generous folks here. We've demonstrated that, Lord. We've sacrificed. And uh, Lord, you've brought us a long way, and we're grateful for that, Lord. As we continue to grow in Christ, Lord, and grow closer to one another, Lord, I pray that you would give us generous hearts. Lord, that as we uh, continue to study your word and look towards the future, Lord, um, that we would recognize what you would have us to do. Lord, and that over time you would show us and not only uh, uh, display it for us, Lord, in your word, but bring us uh, in spirit together, in oneness, Lord, to, uh, to do a work that would uh, please you, Lord, and bring honor to Christ's name. Lord, as we depart here, we pray for, uh, for our week. Lord, we think again about Richard, his travel up to see, uh, uh, put his brother to rest finally, Lord. Uh, we pray that you would bless him and encourage him in that. Lord, for those others who are suffering and ill amongst us that weren't able to be here, Lord, we pray your grace. Lord, uh, encourage us and strengthen us for the days ahead. Lord, uh, we want to use these last precious years, Lord, whether it's a few years or a few decades, uh, to bring glory and honor to you. In Christ's precious name, we pray. Amen.